Um, so, hey, tonight's a special night, or a, a, a special, at least for me. We have a guest preacher. I'm going to invite him up. This is Pastor John, and here's why this is special. Pastor John um, uh, pastors a church called Foothills Baptist down the road here, about 10 minutes on Isquah Hobart Road, um, and it's actually the church that I went to when I was a kid. Um, he baptized me along with my dad when I was, I think it was 10 years old. He actually married my dad and my stepmom. And so, uh, and then um, uh, about four or five years ago, his wife, Cindy, over here, started teaching piano to our oldest son. And so it's allowed us to kind of rebuild this relationship. And, and I think probably more so in the past year um, through COVID-19 and the craziness that we're all going through, especially as pastors. John and I really had um, something to talk about, I guess, at, at deep levels. And so him and I have been able to to connect quite a bit and build a relationship, and I got the chance to preach at his church a couple of times um, as he was gone or out of town, and so I invited him here to preach this evening. Um, so let's give a nice Mission Church warm welcome to Pastor John. Yes? It's all yours, brother. All right, Zach, thank you. So it is such a privilege and a blessing to be able to share with you guys. We have enjoyed you know, knowing Zach and his dad and family for all these years, and then to get to know Melissa and Zach's family in this season has been a real blessing. We visited with you guys just uh, a couple months ago, and we're really blessed with Hillary's leading and just being here. And, and actually, Cindy and I visited this church probably about 10 years ago when you were in your first year because we knew about Zach planting this church, and we wanted to see the mission church, and so we came and so over the years, we have kind of followed you guys and from time to time prayed for you. And so it is a real special thing to be able to come and to share with you today. So thank you for letting me come and do that. I want to share with you this afternoon exactly what I shared with our church this morning at Foothills. Because I understand Zach, Pastor Zach has been talking about how to share your faith and how to tell others the wonderful good things that Christ has done in your heart and in your life. And that fits exactly with what we were dealing with in our church, we're actually beginning a study of the book of Romans. And if you have your Bible, you might want to open to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 8, which is where I'm going to begin. And in this, as we look at this, Paul begins his letter to the church in Rome, just like most ancient letters. It would begin with an introduction of who's writing it, and then he would say to whom the letter was addressed. And so that's exactly how he begins, by introducing himself, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to introduce the theme of his letter, what it is that the book of Romans is all about. And it's about God's good news. We call that the gospel, God's good news for us through Jesus Christ. And in the first seven verses, which we're not going to read, we're going to kind of skip that, but in the first seven verses, he kind of explains some characteristics of the gospel and then how the gospel impacted his life personally and how it impacted the lives of the Christians in Rome. But then he comes to verse 8, where we're going to start reading in a moment. And here he begins to talk about, in, in greater detail, what it is that he's doing writing them. You know, he, he, he kind of shares why he has an interest in them and why he's writing them. I, I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter or an email from a stranger, and you kind of wonder, okay, why are they reaching out to me? Well, there were people in the church in Rome who knew Paul, who had worked with Paul, and certainly many of them had heard of Paul, he did not found that church, and, and he'd never been there. And so most of the people there had never met Paul. 
And so they may have been wondering why Paul was writing them this letter. And so he, he writes them this letter to kind of explain that. And, and here's where you and I come into the picture. God inspired Paul to write this, and he had it preserved, and he had it added to what we call a canon of Scripture, and that's just a word that means library. This 66 books that comprise our Bible. He, he had this book added, not just for what Paul had to say to the church in Rome in ancient times, but how God would speak into our lives and our hearts today as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's going to explain what he is doing relative to them and why he is doing it. So he's going to say, uh, here, here's what I'm doing and here's why I'm doing it. Here's what I'm writing to you and, 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 and what I want to say to you. And in this introduction is a, a spiritual truth that is true for us today. And it's, it's a real simple thing and it's this. The gospel of Jesus demands we live a missional life. The gospel of Jesus demands that we live a missional life. When someone hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and being raised to life to offer us forgiveness and new life, when a person hears that and they receive that, they not only receive what we call salvation, but that it changes the way that we live our life. And we begin to live our life in a missional way, in a, in a missional way. That's why I like the name of your church, the Mission Church, right? I think it has something to do with living a missional life. But the question this afternoon is, am I really living a missional life? Do I really live like I am on mission? Uh, what does it mean to live a missional life? You hear people sometimes say, I'm on a mission from God. I don't know about you, that kind of scares me sometimes because crazy people say that kind of thing. So maybe a better way to say it is to live a missional life means to be living like a missionary. Uh, we have a couple in our church who just retired from serving 20 years overseas. They were sent to Southeast Asia, and they didn't go as tourists to look at the sites and enjoy the sites, and they didn't go as business people to start a business and, and amass a fortune there. They were sent to help support the work of the gospel, of telling people in Southeast Asia the good news of Jesus Christ. They were missionaries. And we see in the example of, of Paul what it means to live like a missionary. Because you remember what Jesus said to his followers at the end of Matthew, where he said that all followers of Christ are to go and make disciples. We're all to live as missionaries. And so Paul's going to help us see what that looks like. First of all, what it means, practically speaking, to live a missional life, to live like you're a missionary right here where you're living in Renton. And then secondly, why? Why do that? And so, with that in mind, if you would look with me in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to stand now that you're nice and comfortable. And uh, as I read our teaching text, and let me read from Romans chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented." 
in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May I pray for us? Father God, thank you for inspiring Paul to write this letter. And I would ask you, O Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and our minds to how you would speak to us here right now at the Mission Church this afternoon. O Spirit, teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So first of all, let's see how we live a missional life. And we see this in the example of Paul. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, uh, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what do we learn from Paul's example about what it means to live like a missionary? First of all, if we want to live a missional life, serve Jesus from my heart. Serve Jesus from my heart. Let me skip verse verse 8 to to the beginning of verse 9 for just a moment. Look with me at verse 9. He says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Now, when you look back at verse 1 at the beginning, we didn't read this, but when you look at that, Paul introduced himself as a servant, and you could translate that slave, a servant or slave of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 6 that his readers, and that would include us today, not just the ancient Romans, are called to belong to Jesus. And I would submit to you that it is belonging to Jesus like a servant or slave belongs to his master. And so he's saying, we also are servants of Christ. And so the question I ask myself is, am I aware of that? Did I, did I wake up this morning and, and say to myself, Jesus, I belong to you. I am your servant. What do you have for me to do today? Is that how you start your day? That's not how often I start mine. So let me say three things about this briefly. First of all, it is important that we see ourselves as simply servants of God. This is the one that we live our life for. This is who we serve. We have a brief life on this earth. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to miss the point why God has me alive today in 2022 on planet earth. It is to serve him. He is the one I want to please. I don't want to worry about pleasing my family. I don't want to worry about pleasing my boss. I want to please God. He is the one that I'm serving. Now, I would submit to you, if I please God, I'm going to be a better husband or a better employee than I would be otherwise. But I have to be sure to keep my priority on the one I'm trying to serve because Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. And so I want to live with just one master in focus, and that is I am serving God. Now, secondly, what is the mission that God has for us as his followers? Paul says it this way. He goes on to say that he's serving in the gospel of God's Son. Now, again, you recall at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And and we typically call that what? The Great great Commission. Do you guys hear that terminology? The Great Commission is what we typically call that, right? All followers of Jesus Christ have one simple assignment, and that is to tell others 
about the good things that Jesus Christ has done in our heart. I mean, that's it, to share the good news of Jesus. And that is what we are here to do. That is our mission. That is why when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God did not immediately transport you up into heaven. He left you here on earth with a mission. And that is the mission for all Christ followers, not just Paul, but all Christ followers. Well, third, we see how I go about serving God in this mission. And notice what Paul says. He says something that's kind of a strange thing. He says, whom I serve in my spirit. Now, this is really the main clause in verse 9. And the main part of that clause is serving in my spirit. Now, what in the world does Paul mean by this? Now, first of all, I guess I should back up and have told you that the word serve there is kind of an unusual word for serve. It's not probably the typical word that we use for serve. It means uh, most often referring to a priest who is serving in cultic practices at the temple. A priest who's serving in the temple. And what Paul's saying is, I serve the gospel of Christ in my spirit. And what he's saying is, in kind of a euphemistic way, what he's saying is this. I am not just showing up for church trying to look religious and go through religious actions. In my heart of hearts, I serve in my spirit with all my heart the work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul really cared about people hearing about Jesus Christ. That was in his heart. That was in his soul. It wasn't just something he did Sunday when he showed up for church. It was something that was dear to him, that really drove him. He wasn't just going through the emotions. And so he comes back to this idea a little bit later. Uh, the, the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is kind of explaining the gospel. He's saying, here's what I understand the gospel to be. And he's explaining his theology because he's going to ask the church in Rome to help support him in a mission he's planning to Spain. And so he's explaining the gospel. And then in chapter 12, he pivots and he begins making application. If this is the gospel, here's what it means. And one way he applies it, he applies exactly what he's saying about serving God in his spirit only, he applies it to us. And he says this in Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. In other words, God wants us to serve his mission and our spirit with all our heart as well, with zeal. I wonder if my heart had a gauge on it, kind of like you have a temperature gauge on a car to show how hot the engine is. If it had a spiritual gauge to show my level of passion for telling others about Jesus Christ, serving this mission, I wonder, would it be slothful or would it be fervent? You know, God wants us to serve with passion. Not something that's a drudgery thing that we have to do, but a missional life means I am serving Jesus from my heart. Secondly, Paul goes on to say that in his example that we should then pray for people. Look with me at verse 8, which I skipped. Let's look at verse 8. For I thank my God. Now notice this is talking about prayer, thanking my God. That's prayer. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And now let me skip over to the second part of verse 9. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul's sharing how he's praying for the Romans and what he's praying for when he prays for the Romans. Now, if you'll, if you'll give me a little latitude here, I'm going to kind of broaden this out. And I want to talk about praying for people as a part of 
how God works through us in this mission in a kind of a little broader sense. God works through our prayers. I know a lot of times we think, I can impact the mission. I can move the needle of helping people come to faith in Jesus Christ when I do good. And they see my good deeds and they glorify the Father, like Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Or we think, you know, when I share the gospel, I can help people come to faith in Christ. And boy, that's true. But never underestimate the power of impacting people's lives by praying for them. Because God works through prayer. And so Paul's talking about praying for these people. Uh, in our church, and Zach, Pastor Zach, you may do the same thing here. We, we've taken our church fellowship and we split it up. We have four in our leadership team, just like you guys do. And we split up our church. And every month, I've got a quarter of the church that I'm praying for. And then we rotate. So every month, people in our church are being prayed for by those on our leadership team. And I hope you as a church pray for each other. I hope you pray for Pastor Zach, because I know him well enough to know he needs it. And <laughs> nothing blesses my heart like knowing my church is praying for me because I need it even more. And so we want to pray for each other, but we also want to be praying for those who are sharing the gospel and pray for those who need the gospel. Our church, Foothills, is connected with a network of churches, a large network of churches, and we support uh, thousands of missionaries all over the world and all over North America. And twice a year, we have a special week of praying for these missionaries. And we select eight missionaries, and we pray for those eight individual missionaries. We have a little prayer guide. It's coming up next month. And, and we have a little prayer guide. And you have a picture of this person serving somewhere, and it gives a profile of their ministry. And we pray for them on the same day. And so what you have is, now imagine if you're a missionary on the mission field. You're in outer Zimbabwe somewhere, you know, trying to, trying to share the gospel. And you know today, you get up in the morning, you think today there are going to be tens of thousands of churches, millions of people, literally, for our network of churches. Millions of people are going to be praying for me today. Wow. Now, friends, that doesn't just make them feel good. God works through prayer in powerful ways. As we pray for people, we want to pray for people that, that God draw them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. There was a woman who prayed for her husband year after year after year. He was not a Christ follower. She was. She prayed for him year after year after year. And then he was killed in a car accident. And she not only was grieving the loss of her husband, she was angry. She was bitter against God because she had prayed for him and prayed for him, and he died. At the funeral, a friend came up to her and said, You don't know this. But the afternoon before your husband's automobile crash, we met for coffee. And we got into a spiritual conversation. And I shared the gospel with him. And he came to faith in Christ. And her head went, pow, you know. Now, I wish I could say it always ends that way. It doesn't always, does it? Uh, my older brother, one of my older brothers, died a couple years ago of cancer. He was not a Christ follower. We weren't very close, but we, we did communicate some, and I had spiritual conversations with him. The last conversation I had with my brother was about a week or two before he died. And the last thing my brother said to me in his life was this. I guess I will find out which of the two of us is right. Now, I wish I could say I knew that my brother came to faith in Christ. 
But here's what I do know. I pray for my brother every week. I have every confidence that God was working in his heart to draw him to faith in Christ. Now, you can't force someone to come to faith in Christ through our prayers. But we can be an agent of God's work in their heart and life as we pray for them. And so I want to encourage you to pray for people. I hope you have some people on your prayer list that you're praying for evangelistically. You're praying for them to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Never underestimate that. So to live a missional life, I, I want to serve Jesus from all my heart. I want to pray for people. And third, I want to use my spiritual gifts to serve others. Uh, look with me at verse 11. Paul says this, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. Thankfully, God does not send us out alone to go and do this work. He says, you need to connect with a church, like the Mission Church. And you need to get together regularly, even if it's at all times at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You need to get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to use your gifts to help encourage each other and to help this church accomplish the mission that I put it here for. And so we come together and we serve each other. And, and this is what Paul's saying to this church he's never been to. He's saying, I want to come to you and I want to use my gifts to bless you and encourage you. And then Paul kind of thinks about it for a minute. And he says, and I want you to encourage me and to bless me through your gifts. Because it's a mutual deal, especially since Paul's about to hit them up to help him on his mission trip to Spain, right? And so he's thinking about that, I think. But, but the point is, we're not alone in this. God calls us to serve together, to build up each other, to do this great work, and then to go off and do it individually as well. We find encouragement. And then the fourth thing is this. We have to go to share the good news. Go to share the good news. Look at verse 13. Paul says this. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So Paul wants to go to Rome, and he wants to reap a harvest among them and among the Gentiles, which would have been most of the, the, the citizenry of ancient Rome would have been Gentiles. And, and he wants to go to them and, and share the gospel. Now, for the sake of time, let me make just one point here, and it's this. I must go and connect with people who need Christ. I wish that you could just put a sign, like that nice little sign you have on the side of the road, which says you know, the missing church, and you have an arrow just in case people are not sure which side of the street to look at, you know. I, I wish you could just put that little sign out, and, and people would just flood to this building to come in and hear the wonderful thing that God has done for them and how much He loves them. But you know, they're not going to do that. We have to connect with them. We have to go to them, and we have to uh, build relationships with them and, and, and share with them the gospel in some way. And, and so they're, they're not going to come. We have to connect with them. Now, not everyone is called to go overseas and serve as missionaries, but we are all called to make the effort to connect with people within our sphere of influence, to take the time and the energy to get to know them, to find out about them, to relate to them, and to, and to seek to have spiritual conversations, whether it's at school or at work or in our neighborhood. Now, I have to admit to you, even though I'm a pastor, I'm not very good at this. Uh, my wife is way better at this than I am. Before COVID struck, we would go to the gym. And I would go to the gym to work out. And Cindy, my wife, would go to the gym 
to connect with people and have spiritual conversations. And she's just way ahead of me on that. But, but this takes initiative. This takes effort. This takes intentionality. And, and so I, I, I need to be willing to see others around me as those to whom God is sending me to connect with and to share the gospel. But not only that, uh, I've found, and probably many of you have, I think that from what Pastor Zach says, it's a part of the culture of this congregation. I found that nothing helps like going on short-term mission trips, whether it's to Africa or wherever it might be, to go on short-term mission trips and to be a part of doing something overseas. I've been blessed to go to Mexico the first a couple of times I went to Mexico, Zach's dad led the trip and we went to, to Mexico and I've been to Thailand, I've been to China and I've gone on these mission trips and you come back and you see, don't you, those of you done this, you know what I'm talking about. You see where you live differently and you realize, wow, I'm, I'm living in a mission field right here too and I'm a missionary here too. And so it opens your, your, your eyes to a, a broader horizon. This is what it means to live a missional life, to serve Jesus with all my heart, to pray for people, to use my spiritual gifts to serve, to be willing to go and connect with people and share the gospel. Now, friends, that is a lot of work and a lot of effort. Why in the world would we do this? And this is the second thing Paul addresses, and it's the why. And here's why we go through all this effort to live a missional life. Some scholars refer to this as the three I am statements of Paul. Now, I think Paul would probably cringe at such an exalted title. But uh, three things Paul says about how he views his life that motivate him to do this. And the first is this. He says, firstly, I am obligated. I am obligated. Look with me at verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul, is, that's his way of saying everybody. You know, the Greeks were the cultured educated, empowered people. The barbarians were the disenfranchised, marginalized uh, rejects that nobody cared about. The wise were the educated, and, and of course the foolish were not. So that's just his way of saying everybody. And Paul says, I am obligated to share the gospel with everybody, and that's why I want to go to Rome and do it. Now the question you might ask is, well, Paul, how are you obligated? What makes you obligated to, the, to these people? Uh, 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 there, there are two ways, and I think it's John Stott who, who said this, there are two ways you can be obligated or be in debt to someone. The first way would be this. Let's say one of you wanted to loan me $50,000. I'd like to meet you after the service, by the way. Um, if one of you wanted to loan me $50,000, I would be indebted to you to pay you back that $50,000 because you gave it to me, right? But there's another way that this can happen. Let's say your rich uncle... You didn't know you had one of those, did you? Your rich uncle contacts me and says, Pastor John, will you give Zach this $50,000 for me? And I say yes. Now, I am morally and ethically obligated to give Zach that $50,000. If I don't do it, I'm going to be in trouble, right? God has entrusted to followers of Jesus Christ the gospel. And he says, I want you to go and share this with everyone that you can. And I am obligated to others to share the gospel that God has entrusted to me. And so Paul says, I am obligated. Secondly, he says in verse 15, I am eager. Look with me at verse 15. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, let me say a couple of things about that real quick. First of all, first and foremost, Paul is simply saying, I'm eager to share the gospel. This is, reaches back to serving Christ from his heart. This is not an obligation. This is not a, oh, no, I've got to tell the gospel to someone. This is something that's heartfelt for Paul. And he's eager to do it. He says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do this. I want to do it. And I hope we also can grasp what a wonderful privilege it is to be able to tell people about the God who loves them and gave his life on the cross for them and was raised to life so that they can look beyond the grave and they can have hope and that they can experience the, the peace and the joy of Jesus Christ and walk with their creator God. I mean, what wonderful news it is, isn't it? And yet, I admit it, there are going to be a lot of people in our world that are not going to hear it as good news. But it really is. And we have to hang on to that reality that it is, it is wonderful news to be able to share this. And so Paul says, I'm eager. He does not say, I am fearful. But I admit to you, I'm kind of a timid soul. And a lot of times I'm fearful. I think, what are people going to think about me? What's going to happen if they reject me? And I'm selfishly thinking only about myself. And I'm not thinking about this person whose only hope when they stand before God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way they're ever going to be reconciled with their creator is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way they're going to have God present in their life to help them with what they're facing is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm worried about poor me and what, what might happen to me if they don't receive well what I have to say. You know, shame on me, right? But Paul says, I am, I am eager. I'm not fearful. I'm eager. Secondly, please note with me that Paul had not gone to Rome and done it. He says, I want to do it. I've been praying that God would let me do it, but I hadn't done it. Why is it that Paul hadn't done it? Well, he tells us in verse 13, look at verse 13. I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. The question is, well, what prevented Paul? In, in a word, the answer is God. God stopped Paul. You see, Paul wanted to be sensitive to the leadership of the Spirit of God and for opportunities the Spirit of God would open for him. And so you might recall an example of that in Acts 16. Paul wanted to take the gospel to Asia. But it tells us in Acts 16, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him to. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Paul wants to go share the gospel and the Spirit of Jesus won't let him do it. And instead, he had a vision of a man calling him to take the gospel to Macedonia. And so Paul wanted to be sensitive to uh, that leadership from the Spirit of God. And here's my point. In our eagerness to share the gospel, because Paul said he was eager, right? He's eager to do it. At the same time, I want to be sensitive to God's Spirit and His leadership, and I want to look for appropriate opportunities. Now, we don't have to wait for a vision. Paul usually didn't have a vision, right? And we don't have to wait. But we do want to be sensitive to appropriate and not share the gospel in inappropriate, inopportune ways. Every year in Issaquah, we have Salmon Days. I wonder, how many of you have ever gone to Salmon Days? Okay, quite a few of you. Okay, Salmon Days. Tens of thousands, I've heard as many as 200,000 people come to Salmon Days on the weekend to Salmon Days. It's crazy if you've never been there. Usually, every year I go to Salmon Days, there's some guys there. They're young guys, typically. And they have these signs. And it says, repent or go to hell. 
And they have a bullhorn. Have you guys ever seen that? These guys with the bullhorn? They have the bullhorn. And they're out there blasting out at people. Now, I don't doubt that their heart is in the right place. But that is really probably not an effective way to share the gospel. To stand there with a sign and a bullhorn blasting out at people, right? They're not going to receive that very well. And so we want to be sensitive to opportunities. But here's the catch. You have to be eager to do it when you have that opportunity. Otherwise, you're going to be like me. And I go past something, and then I go, duh! That was a wonderful opportunity to engage that person in a, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual conversation and share the gospel. And I just walked right past it because I wasn't being eager. So I, I want to be sensitive, but I also want to be eager. And then finally, Paul says, I am not ashamed. Look with me at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then, uh, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk there in that little statement. Here in these two verses is what many would call the theme of the whole book of Romans. And I would agree with this. The, the theme of the whole book of Romans right there in those two verses. In fact, there's one outline of the book of Romans I really, really like. And it says, you know, you, you have the introduction and then you come up to verses 15 and 16 and you have the theme. And then starting in verse 18, from verse 18, chapter 1, all the way to the end of chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 36, all the rest of that is expanding on those two verses that we just read. It's kind of like if you've ever had to send a zip file. You know, you've got to send an email and you've got a whole bunch of documents and even folders. And so you, you compress it into this little zip file and, and you can send it in an email. And then the person clicks on it and bam, it opens up to all these folders. It's like, here's what Paul is, is saying in these verses, right? And then you click on these two verses and then bam, there is verse 18 all the way to the end of chapter 11 where he explains what he means there. And, and so in this, Paul says... I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, in Paul's day, Christians were looked at in highly suspicious ways. People thought Christians were cannibals. Probably knew that. They got together and they ate the flesh and drank the blood of Jesus. And they literally thought Christians were cannibals. And there are all kinds of ideas that people had about Christians. Now, in our day, dare I say, a lot of people view what we would call, quote, Bible-believing Christians as, as not being good, of us not being good people, right? Um, for example, you've probably been following some of the Finnish prime minister, and, and please forgive me, I, I, I'm not going to pronounce his name right. I'm from Texas. I just can't help it. And, and her name is Pavi Maria Rassinen. Have you heard about her? She's being tried right now. Uh, she could even maybe possibly spend a couple of years in jail. She's being tried. You know what she did? She sent a tweet and, and not only did she send a tweet, but she had previously written about the, what the Bible taught about God creating people, and I know, hang on to your seat, creating people male and female, and about what the Bible teaches about human sexuality. But it's the tweet that really got her in trouble. And let me tell you what was in that tweet. In fact, I'll let her tell you what's in that tweet. Here's what she said. I posted a tweet addressing a question to the leadership of my church, which had signed up to support Pride. The essential content of the treat, tweet <laughs> was a photo from the Bible, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. She tweeted a picture of Scripture talking about human sexuality in the Bible. And that's why she's being tried right now. 
And so that's how kind of the world views Christians in a lot of ways. And you know what that makes me want to do? That makes me want to keep my mouth shut and keep my head down. Maybe be ashamed of the gospel in some regard, right? Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? He tells us, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Let me go back, if I may, to what I was just saying a minute ago about being sensitive to the right opportunity to share the gospel. There's, you have to be careful about thinking like that because it can cause you to feel it's all on me. If I say the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time, I'm going to push people away from God and to feel like it's all on us. And that's intimidating. And that can cause us to keep our mouths shut. And, and, and what I want to call your attention to is Paul understood that God has a secret weapon that makes the gospel effective. And it's not how well we share it. It is simply the message of the gospel itself, inherent within the message, telling people that Jesus died for them, for their sins, that they can be forgiven, and that he was raised to life to offer them reconciliation with God and the gift of eternal life. Inherent within that message itself is power. He uses the word for dynamite when he talks about power in the gospel. This is why Jesus uses the metaphor of a seed, the farmer sowing the seed. It has nothing to do with the farmer. It doesn't have anything to do with what he's wearing or what kind of equipment he's using. The life is in the seed. And if that seed comes in contact with fertile ground, it's going to do its thing. If we just sow the seed, if we just share the gospel, we know it's not on us. The power is in the message. Yes, I want to share it in an appropriate way that people will actually listen to, but it's not about me. It's about just sharing the gospel. And the power of God is in that gospel message. And God uses that to reach into a person's heart and say, this is true. Trust me. Come to faith in me. And that's where the power is. And so why is the gospel so powerful? Well, he tells us, look at verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the thing that's so powerful about the gospel is it shows how people can be made right with God. And all it takes is simple faith in Jesus Christ. And bam, the Spirit of God opens people's hearts and draws them. And so that's what living a missional life is about. And the question for, for you maybe this afternoon is, is this. You can come to and attend the mission church, or you can be the mission church by living a missional life. To live a missional life means to serve Jesus with all my heart from my heart to pray for people, to use my spiritual gifts to help each other as we work at this together as a church and to be willing to connect with people to share the good news. Why would I do that? Because I'm obligated. God has entrusted to me because I'm eager to. I know how Jesus has blessed and changed my life. I want to see others have their life changed and blessed too, right? And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, I may not do the best job of sharing it, but the power of God works the gospel. So I'm motivated. I want to live a mission life. And may I pray for you, and hopefully that's your prayer too. Oh God, help us. You have been so good, Lord Jesus, what you've done in our heart. We are so grateful. And we know that you would use us in a missional way to be your missionaries right here to share that wonderful news. Help us to do that, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Our worship team is going to come up and, and share with us. Thank you. I was a little slow getting that done, wasn't I? Pardon me, Hillary. So thank you.